So I watched some more movies over the summer here. And before I get to that, I just want to zoom out a little bit and look at the bigger picture. And by that, I mean, you know, we've got these strikes going on with screenwriters, with actors, and it has essentially kind of shut down Hollywood or at least American filmmaking. And that even goes to TV. That even goes to promotion and marketing. You know, the last film that I saw actors doing interviews for was Oppenheimer. And that, I mean, it's turned into substantial success. Uh, and, And Barbie, of course, too, has like become a runaway thing that I don't know if a lot of people really expected. But those films, maybe because there was such a push in promotion and all that, maybe because uh, just the 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 writing was on the wall that there may not be a lot of opportunities to promote this film after this strike starts, so hit it hard. I don't know. I don't know if that's all part of how the thing works or not. But the fact that Films are still coming out. There's still new releases every week, pretty much. And yet, uh, you're not really hearing about the... uh, You're not hearing from the actors. You're not hearing about the films themselves as much, other than like trailers or some canned footage, stuff like that. So, it's kind of forcing a different perspective on how you promote your film. You know, how you sell your product. And I think that is, of course, that's part of the intention of the strike is, hey, we're not, uh, as creatives, as the talent, we're not being recognized or compensated fairly. So you big companies, your corporations, your studios, you go find another way to make money because we're not going to participate in making you more money. Uh, It's interesting to see now what's going to happen with a lot of the films that are coming out because... uh, I mean, it's still a business in a sense. And, you know, for me as someone who works in the creative field and who's done a little bit of filmmaking, um, I'd much rather focus on that. I'd much rather focus on creating my work and doing a good job and exploring ideas than selling a product. And look, that's, I think that's not unusual to most artists or creative types or actors or writers, musicians, whatever. You just want to do the thing that you love. Why has it got to be a business? I, you know, hey, that's, that's the dream sometimes. But here, I mean, we are confronted with, well, this is really big business. The, the idea of entertainment for the masses and how does that machine keep turning if some pretty important parts of the machine stop working. I mean, it's not like we're talking about like a, uh, like a trucker strike or like a government strike, right? I mean, it's not crucial. It's not going to totally bring the downfall of society, but I think it speaks to some larger issues, you know? And look, the reasons why and where things are going, I don't really know. But what I feel like is going to happen 
in its place is, look, you've got all this high-level, high-quality, highly produced material, this content, this artwork, really, that has kind of just come to a full stop. So what does that leave? I mean, the, the way society works, I think the way popular culture works is it needs food. You know, the engine needs gas to burn. And so content still needs to be out there. And honestly, I feel like this is going to be a place or a time where you might see, you know, unfortunately, probably you're going to see a giant leap in true, like unscripted content. And whether that's just people on YouTube doing their weird random shit, or if it's podcasts maybe like this or others, you know, they're already a success in a way, but I still feel like there's another level that a lot of that content hasn't really broken through yet. You know, for the people who their regular thing of, of going to the movies is to just see whatever is big. doesn't really matter who's in it or who made it or if their thing that they watch on TV is like law and order and whatever, you know, sitcom is, is out in prime time that night for those people, there's a lot of this content that hasn't still made its way to them. You got to remember that, you know? So, my concern there is, well, what happens to films? It's a very formative part of my life is the idea of telling stories through film, specifically. You know, TV has its place, and sometimes it's a better medium for telling certain types of stories. But film, for me, it's just, uh, it's unmatched. And now you could say for some people, it's going back to theater, right? It's like the theater experience, like actually watching a play or musical or an opera, like those things, they do feel kind of antiquated now. They still exist. And sometimes they're still very successful, but it's not like it would have been decades ago. And I wonder if we're coming up to that moment now where this is where film is going to take that turn, where film is going to be the medium where if you want to go see a great high quality film produced with top notch talent and top notch presentation, it's going to cost you $20. It's going to be a thing you spend the whole evening on. And, uh, I mean, I feel like it's already getting there. So this idea of smaller budget films and independent films, those aren't really going to, I just don't see those lasting much longer. At least, put it this way, at least in the theatrical experience. And you're still going to get that kind of stuff on, you know, streaming services or um, even YouTube. People produce short films or films and they throw them up on YouTube or Vimeo or whatever the platforms they, they like. And then it's just about getting people to see them. It's a whole different business model, put it that way. And the goal really isn't to necessarily make a lot of money. The idea is to do really interesting and creative work. So I, you know, 
I wonder if we're getting to the point where the big business of entertainment is going to lose the business part because these companies and the talent involved in these strikes and these disputes, who knows if they're going to work it out or what it's really going to amount to, you know, I'm sure something will be worked out, but what's that going to mean for filmmaking as a whole for as, as an industry? So um, the reason I, the reason I kind of got to that whole place of thinking was, yeah, I saw these latest movies here. Let's talk about this. Um, maybe the biggest film of the summer with the biggest unnecessarily clumsy title, Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning, Part 1. Um, so much was made out of this film in terms of the stunts and the action and the dedication. Even, look, even the, the blow up that leaked of Tom Cruise going crazy about someone not sticking to the COVID protocols during the filming, you know, that whole thing of him yelling and screaming at someone, uh, all of that. I mean, you remember that was like two years ago now and the film just came out this year. That's how long this thing has been in the works. And a part of me for the film itself, I enjoyed it. I thought it was fun. I thought it was certainly entertaining in, in, in the sense that the pace of it, the style of it is very much traditional or typical action film stuff. And yet I, I just feel like this is one of the first big films like this where I've looked at it now and I've said, wait, I can see the COVID stuff going on behind the scenes. I've seen that with smaller films. I've even seen it with some TV series that clearly were produced in the last few years. And some series, at least on television, even went so far as to just like live in the moment, like where the characters are wearing masks and talking about the pandemic and safety protocols and all that stuff. Films, as far as I can see, I mean, I haven't seen a film yet that really leaned into, oh, yeah, this is made during the pandemic. We're showing people wearing masks and all that. There have been some stuff that's popped up on streaming, but nothing that I've seen in the theaters so far has acknowledged that. And it's a weird thing to think, like, this is the one film, as much as going on in this film, as much as plot and characters and all that gets involved, I still feel like, but I know what happened while they were making this film. So there's a lot of other, like, context or, or even just subtext in the film that you, you can project onto it maybe, or you can read into it. And I don't know that that's fair, you know, and I don't know if that's just me, but it makes it a little harder to enjoy the film entirely because there's always that thread of, well, what happened during this moment? Like, how did they have to change what, what they wanted to film here because of safety protocols, whatever. And when you look at a film like that, it, yeah, it kind of grounds it in a way that maybe you aren't really, it, it's not necessary for the story. You know, a story like this, look, these Mission Impossible films, they're really not at this point about the story. I mean, ever since the first one, 
and I said the first one, but the, was it 1995, 96, the reboot of Mission Impossible? Because remember, this was a TV series back in, what, the 60s or 70s? So the fact that they brought it up to the 90s, kind of reinvented the whole thing. And the plot of that film, honestly, is pretty convoluted. And when you look at it that way, it's not about that. I don't really care what the thing is they're trying to get from the place, from the guy, to do the other thing. It's all about how they get there. It's not about what they're doing. It's about how they're doing it. And maybe the adventures of it, maybe the mistakes of it, maybe the thrills of it, all that stuff, right? This film is really no different. Um, the the one thing I the one thing I feel like this film tries to push it to the next level is it tries to at least in my mind it tries to take Ethan Hunt's story from all these films that we've already seen, like cast it in a new way by showing us incidents or moments that happened before that first film in the nineties. And it, it, it has to pull a little sleight of hand to make that work. And I don't know if it's really totally convincing, but that's the idea. And so by doing that, of course, they're trying to build out, really flesh out the character of Ethan Hunt and make his story more compelling, really, because I look, I think honestly, these stunts and then the action in these films is so amazing and it's great. And you can tell there's a lot of work and dedication that goes into it, but I mean, it's going to get tired after a while. It's going to play itself out. I mean, it, you see it kind of already happened with all the superhero movies. Like we've seen this same story. We've gone through these same motions enough times already. Uh, I kind of stop caring now, or I kind of already know what's going to happen. So I'm not even going to watch it. And here with this, I feel like they're at least trying to, avoid that a little bit, trying to skirt around that pitfall. And, you know, the only issue with that is, okay, you've got to tell such a broad sprawling kind of story now that you've got to break it into two hour, two movies, both over two hours long, apparently. So I, I mean, we're starting a whole new series now. So I don't know. It's a little frustrating in the sense that well, we're really not going to see the end of the story until at this point, who knows, maybe two years from now, because they're in the middle of filming the second part and everything is at a standstill. So it might be next year, might be the year after. I, I Who knows? And it's not to say you can't do it. I mean, it's been done before and probably the biggest most recently, maybe the biggest all time at this point was the Avengers movie, uh, Infinity War, right? It ended on a giant cliffhanger, in a sense. Because, in a way, we didn't really know if that would ever be resolved and how it would be resolved. So you're kind of left with like, oh, shit, this is the world now. Half of these characters are gone. Turns out, of course, people who knew the comics, knew the the source material, whatever, hey, we're going to be okay. Don't worry about it. But for maybe most movie-going audiences who weren't familiar with all that, they could either look at it as a cliffhanger or it's like, oh, wow, they just blew this whole thing up. Where do we go from here? And so 
That's an interesting way to approach a film and storytelling is to just completely stop in the middle of your story. Now, this one doesn't quite do that. Mission Impossible does lead us to some sort of resolution for some things, but it leaves a lot of things hanging and even introduces a couple of new things that, of course, we're supposed to look forward to in the next film. All right, fine. I got it. I just, uh, I just, I feel like this was clearly imagined as one story and now you're giving me different parts. And I don't know, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. This one, I feel like, I, I really like the, the new characters in this film and even the return of um, Henry Cerny as, um, oh, what's his name now? Now I'm totally blanking on his name. You know who I'm talking about. The guy from the first film. He comes back. But the new characters, played by Haley Atwell and even Pum Clementif, who are kind of ambiguous, like you're not sure whose side they're on or what their goals are, what their purposes are. We, we find out pretty quickly. But at first, you, you're kind of unclear who these people are. And then as you see their arcs through this story of their allegiance and what they want to do and what they're trying to do as that all develops. Okay. I, I can see that. That makes sense. So I'm down for that. I, I'm down to see what happens to these characters and, and what the future holds for them. But otherwise, I mean, there's a lot of this film that I feel like, I mean, look, even the big motorcycle stunt, the thing that they hyped up so much before the film, I mean, like six months before this film even came out. And even when I watched that footage originally, I wondered, like, wait, okay, they're hyping it up. This is a big stunt, biggest stunt, craziest stunt in the series, whatever. Why is he jumping off of a ramp on the side of a mountain? Like, that didn't make any sense. And once you see it in the film, you realize it's not a giant ramp. They replaced the ramp with part of the mountain, so it looks like he's jumping off of a cliff or a peak or whatever. But... Knowing that, it's like, all right, well, when that moment comes in the movie of he gets on the motorcycle and then he's like trying to find a way to get on this train, like, okay, well, I know where we're going now. And so now the surprise of it all, the thrill of it all is kind of, it's been tempered now because I already know, oh, we're coming up to the fake mountain, the giant ramp. And even when there's, there, you can see they're trying to build suspense of like, what am I supposed to do? How do I get to the train? You know? Talking on the radios, Ethan Hunt is like flying down roads on this motorcycle trying to catch this train. And, oh, well, you could go up and then off the edge. And like, well, we already know that's coming. Are you trying to sell me something I already bought? <laughs> I just felt like it, it kind of worked against itself to hype it up so much. And I get the idea, but it doesn't really land the way I think they expect it. But all that said, I mean, I still enjoyed it. It's just, uh, it's really hard to see past the real world uh, behind the scenes kind of machine of it all. And, uh, and so, look, that even makes me think, you know, the next two films that I want to talk about, same thing. Indiana Jones and The Dial of Destiny, which another legacy sequel. I mean, we had, <laughs> we had Top Gun. We've had so many really, 
but this one was one that was kind of overdue. You know, I remember them talking about making this film or making a fifth Indiana Jones film 10 years ago, you know, not long after, uh, whatever the, the aliens one was, um, you know, the idea of kind of giving this character a final farewell, like a send off into a real, um, kind of letting go of that era of films, of stories, of that character. Uh, I, I thought that was a really interesting idea. And we certainly get some of that with this film. But, you know, the other thing is that there's a lot of, there's a lot of pieces in the film that I mean, if you, if you know the characters, if you know the whole saga, let's say, then it, it all kind of makes sense and it coheres in, in a way to everything that's come before it. You know, you've got Karen Allen returning as, um, you know, Indy's love interest. You've got a little bit of a mention of their son and what happened to him. And because we know that character doesn't return. And... So when you've got, you know, you've even got John Rhys-Davies who comes back as Salah. And so it's a matter of revisiting a little bit of things that have come before, but also looking at where this character stands today. And that's, that's at least a good, interesting, dramatic angle to take. You know, I, I, I feel like it at least gives us something to kind of latch on to and emotionally hook in with. Uh, in terms of where these characters are going, you know, the other thing of this is we've introduced, we've got new characters in the fold. Phoebe Waller-Bridge, she plays his goddaughter, you know, which was never really introduced or mentioned at any point. But that is part of why this film has this extended sequence at the beginning of the film, which takes place during the period when the, let's say, the earliest films took place, or maybe even before actually. I, I don't really remember when exactly. I know it's during World War II, so I guess it's somewhere in between the middle three movies. I don't know. The point is, it takes us back and kind of gives us a prequel, in a way, to Raiders of the Lost Ark. And so that at least kind of retcons this whole idea of this character and this relationship that he's supposed to have with her. And gives us a, at least a, an emotional thing to, to kind of hang on to as the film continues. And, you know, all that said, I mean, there's a lot of great action in this and adventure. But I, I got to be honest, like there's a lot that just feels, it feels like the magic is kind of gone with it. Like it's really just a little bit of going through the emotions, a little bit of like fan service or even just, fan fiction in a way. Um, there's just something about it that as, as earnest and sincere as it seemed like the filmmakers were about making this film, there's just, uh, it, it just doesn't have that same spark. And interestingly enough, uh, I thought Harrison Ford would have been kind of the problem there, but I don't know. I mean, he still gets after it, man. And that's a surprise. I mean, it's a great surprise, but to see like he's still got that, there's like a 
twinkle. There's like a, a little bit of a magic, but there's also a, a gravity to his performance that it's it's always been dialed in at certain levels in all of the films, even in the other characters, the other films he's been in as Harrison Ford, of course, but um, as Indiana Jones, we see like moments, uh, like shades of that character that we were introduced to what, 40 years ago. So that is like at least an interesting consistency. And even when we get to the final moments of this film and he has to make a decision or he tries to make a decision for himself, for his destiny, let's say, um, I, I go with it. I believe it. Uh, I'm, I'm sold on it. And so that, uh, you know, it's successful in that way. I just feel like the reason I say, I think the magic is kind of gone is that I just don't know people like my age who grew up with those earliest films and are just really kind of formed by so much of that experience. Uh, I don't know if we're still there emotionally or invested in a way to come back to the theaters or to even just check this one out at this point, you know? And then of course, newer audiences, younger people, they may not have any familiarity with this character or these stories. So I, I can only guess like, that's why this film didn't really land. Like I think they were expecting, you know, it, it just feels like it's kind of just flew right under the radar. And look, when the last Indiana Jones film came out, uh, what was that, 2010, 2012? Like, that was such an event still, you know? It, it was one that, oh, we're going to be there. We're going to see this. And here, it just seems like it's really just coming and going. Like, it's going to be out of theaters probably very soon, if not by the time this is actually, by the time you're hearing this. So it's a little disappointing, you know, and and I can't say it's entirely unwarranted. I mean, the film just it doesn't quite hit the same levels. And so I I don't know. I, I mean, I enjoyed it for what it was. I'm sure I'll see it again as a fan, as someone who likes these types of films, these types of stories, but also everybody involved with the project. James Mangold, he did a great job, like in terms of putting the film together and giving it a style, but also nodding and acknowledging some things from the previous films, all done by Steven Spielberg. So it's really well done. There's a lot of this stuff in this film that is like top level, but there's, there's just some magic that's not quite hidden, you know? So, I mean, and look, and speaking of films that the audiences are probably moved on at this point, the last one I'm going to talk about here is this last Transformers movie. <laughs> this, uh, what is this, Transformers Rise of the Beast? You know, they, they kind of got me back into it with Bumblebee because I felt like, all right, well, finally we got Michael Bay out of these fucking movies. Like, I'm sick of those movies. All of the five films that he did... They progressively got worse and worse, and I just seemed like I was wasting my time, wasting my money, and wasting my energy even thinking about them. And yet you can see, like, you watch those films, you can see there's a lot that goes into them. 
It's all on screen. The special effects, the stunts, the action, all that. And yet, what did it really amount to? You know, the, the people my age that grew up again with the cartoons and the toys and all that in the 80s, I, I mean, that's not, I think, what I or, or most people of that generation wanted out of those films. And so with that in mind, I really felt like at least Bumblebee when, what was that, like five, six years ago now? When that came out, I thought, all right, well, we're kind of steering the ship in the right direction again. Like, we're going to get this back to its more simpler roots of just adventure and fun. But um, this one, I think it's trying to stay on those same tracks. But I I think they went a little too far into, uh, I don't know, man, this like, it's almost like pandering of like, well, we're going to give it this throwback vibe. We're going to really reflect like 90s hip hop culture and, you know, the urban, uh, just the the landscape of the time. And I, I don't know, man, I felt like it was trying way too hard. And then all these other characters that I'm not familiar with, I don't know what these beast, beast robots, what, what are they called? What are they called? Um, I don't even know what they're called. Honestly, they're from another cartoon or, or series or whatever. I'm sure it sounds familiar, but I don't see it. That's the thing is like, I've moved on from all of that. And I think that that is something that like this film, apparently it worked on some level and some people enjoyed it. And it's probably here. I'll tell you what it is. Like my son, right? He grew up with the movies, the Michael Bay movies. And to him, those were, that's, you know, that was it. That was the pinnacle right there. That's how you do big action movies. Now, I, you know, it's a, just a different context. Right? You just have a different perspective. To me, like these, this film at least, it doesn't really honor the original cartoons and all that that I grew up with. And it doesn't really kind of reflect everything that was in those early Michael Bay movies. This is really doing a new thing now. So, you know, I don't know. I feel like maybe some people are connecting to this that recognize something from the films. Maybe don't really have any understanding or, or at least not firsthand understanding of the cartoons and the original toys and all that era. So I don't know. I don't know where the audience for this film is at this point. And I just, I tell you this much, it's not me. Like I watched this film and I... I, I understood what was going on, but I really just didn't care about any of it. And I, I felt like the one, uh, like the olive branch of like, oh, well, we're going to make Optimus Prime. We're going to design him like the original design, like the toys you would have bought when you were, you know, 10 or whatever. Um, I mean, that's, that's cool. That's a nice touch, but that doesn't make the movie better. That doesn't make the story more interesting. That doesn't make the characters more uh, engaging. And honestly, by doing that, I felt like that was their one way of saying, we're going to give you this, but we're going to throw all this other shit at you now. We're going to make all these other characters, all these other plot lines, all these other threads, backstories, and all this stuff that aren't really essential. And I, I, honestly, I just felt like the, the, let's say the, 
thing that made Bumblebee a success, in my mind, the thing that I liked about it was it took that story of a robot and their human uh, owner or friend or whatever you want to call it and really simplified that, right? Like there are other bigger stakes and all that in the in this Transformers universe, I guess. But that story was really focused on these two characters. And here we go back to the Michael Bay verse of, okay, well, everything is at stake. The entire world is going to be destroyed if these characters don't figure this out and do the right thing or whatever. And I, I'm tired of that. Like, honestly, like if you look at the original uh, Transformers cartoon, the G1 series, right? I mean, a lot of those episodes, they weren't about these characters trying to save the world. They were pretty minor, like, conflicts and disputes and, and all that kind of stuff. And so, you know, that was what kind of made the... That's what made the cartoon tick, I think, for a lot of people, is it was simple enough, and it was... I mean, honestly, rudimentary enough that you could follow it pretty easily. And then it was just more about the cool stuff, the action, the characters, the cars or the, the vehicles or whatever. It wasn't so much about like, oh, we've got to do this thing because this is the thing that turns that thing into the thing. And then it stops this other thing from happening. And then that saves the world. I, who cares? Leave that to the superhero genre. This is like, this works best when it is just a, a few characters trying to figure out a problem or trying to, I don't know, get to a certain thing, not thing upon thing upon thing upon thing. The fact that you have, and this is not even the first film this has happened, where you have Unicron as a character now that is somehow going to destroy the planet. Uh, I just feel like, okay, well, we can only really do that once. And honestly, we did it in 1980, what, 85, 86 with the animated film. Like that really kind of put that out there on front street. And so there, you, you can't go there again. We did it already. Do something new. Why do we keep going back to this? There's got to be some other bigger, better way to raise the stakes. So, I, you know, for me, I just, I couldn't really, I couldn't really find a way into the film and I, I really think it's just a matter of, it's not a film for me anymore. This whole genre, the, the toys, whatever, that whole thing, that is, that's not for me no more. And so I, I'm able to look past that. I'm, I'm fine with letting it go. I did that with Star Wars. I mean, I really did. Like after the prequel movies in the early 2000s, I just said, you know, so long. It was it was fun during the 80s and even into the 90s. And after those prequels came out and they just didn't really... I, maybe I just saw them differently as an adult instead of as a child. And I was able to say, okay, now we part ways. And they got, they, they got me back a little bit with The Force Awakens. The other prequel films, they're okay. But what really honestly got me back into it was The Mandalorian and the stuff they were doing on TV. I mean, some of those shows are, they're actually pretty solid. Andor, Andor's a great show. And I just feel like, well, 
if if everybody had given up on Star Wars like I did, we wouldn't have those shows. So uh, there's something to be said for fandom and sticking with it and and all that. But me with this with Transformers, I'm good. I'm straight. I'm out. <laughs> so I, you know, look, all these films I think at this point are coming to was it Paramount Plus or whatever. Uh, actually, what Indiana Jones would go to Disney now. Paramount doesn't work like that no more. So, um, you know, see them as you want, as you can. I, I mean, the, the thing that I'm getting at is with all of this is these summer films, they just don't hit like they used to. And I'm a little worried. I'm a little curious how this is all going to pan out. Let's say over the next six months, I mean, even next summer, like does next summer have blockbusters like this or intended blockbusters like this? Put it that way. Because these films, I mean, Mission Impossible is doing okay from what I can tell, like it's success wise, but it certainly took a big beating going up against Oppenheimer and the Barbie, you know, the Barbenheimer deal. And yet those films weren't necessarily intended to be blockbusters. I'm sure of it. Those were more like uh, fluke uh, occurrences. I, I just don't think that not maybe Barbie, they intended like this was going to be a really layered uh, uh, you know, type of thing, an event, because you've not just got the films, but you've also got the... Uh, all the animated stuff. And then you've got the actual toys themselves and all of that, you know, merchandise and all that. So I'm sure that was a part of this, but I don't think they expected to be such a runaway hit. And yet these films, this, this mission impossible, Indiana Jones, transformers, these were like manufactured to succeed. And to various degrees, they may or may not have done that. And so now, as things are all come to a standstill, what does that mean for next year? What does that mean for the holiday season? Are we going to find hits that come out of left field? That you, you know, the idea of being able to crank these things out like a machine to know what success is, I mean, it catches up to everybody. You know, you take a studio that was like undefeated for years like Pixar, film after film after film after film, hit, 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 right? Well, it's not sustainable. Eventually, they did fall off. And their films really just, they, they just kind of became part of more animated films. You know, you had other studios come along, DreamWorks and Sony and, and all these others that really kind of watered everything down. So where does that leave you, you know? here, I mean, maybe this is going to retool or force the industry to readjust in terms of what it considers success and then how you find that success, how you build that success with projects or with talent. So I'm curious to see where this is going to go, both because of the strikes and, and what, what's going to come out of those, but also what is what are people going to go towards? Like, are they just going to go towards the thing they're, they're, they're being told to go to? Or are they going to go to things that they want? They're going to find the hits. They're going to make the hits. 
So it's an interesting thing to see and, and kind of watch this play out. And um, I don't know. I'm here for it. In the meantime, though, look, I'm not going to... I'm going to kind of back off of new films. I want to let that simmer for a little bit. So I'll go back and probably watch some older stuff. Really get back into the to the backlog, the, the watch list, and, and go find some stuff that's been off the radar for a while. So I don't know, man. We'll see how that goes. That's been me for this week. And, uh, you know, I'm going to go watch something new. <laughs> 